On the far side of Manchester Airport, at the freight terminal, in the dead of the night, the cargo hold of a small aircraft is covered by a large black cloth. Inside a plastic-covered cage, handled by the ground staff with synchronised precision, are monkeys, live monkeys, on their way into the United Kingdom to be transferred to testing labs. Is Manchester Airport being used as a gateway to animal testing? This is the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill with me, Daryl Morris, and the Mill's editor, Yoshi Herman. Hello Yoshi. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, very well sir. And um, the Mill's staff writer, Molly Simpson as well. Hello there. Hi, Daryl. How are you doing? Yes, I'm very well. Long time no speak. Uh, <laughs> we've, um, yeah, it's only our second time in, in in a few days. You were on my show this weekend, Molly, uh, on, on Times Radio. I was, yeah. We must stop meeting like this. Oh, it, was. Um, it was a good chat. Yeah, and it was talk about a story that we're going we're gonna to get into uh, today, which is absolutely fascinating. There's been a, a heck of a reaction to a weekend read. Um, that you guys published about Manchester Airport um, and monkeys and animal testing. Uh, we'll get into the, the finer details of it in a minute, but it's um, it's had a heck of a reaction, um, hasn't it? Um, and we've got lots to get through this week, as usual. We're going to talk about um, Hardy's Well and a fire there shortly. We'll also talk about a really awkward moment at Manchester United's end-of-season awards as well. That's left a couple of questions, I think, for those people um, uh, who were there, I guess, and, and, and particularly around the women team and just a general lack of respect perhaps for these incredibly talented female footballers and um, we'll come to that in more detail in a minute and find out exactly what's going on there let's start though with um a story that's that's uh, made a few waves this weekend actually y- yoshi we'll start with you on this and and, and then uh, molly you can take us into the, the sort of finer details of it um we're talking about Manchester Airport here and um, a bit of sort of investigative work that your team have done, Yoshi, to try to uncover why late night flights are bringing in questionable cargo. Yeah, so someone gave me a call recently and they said that someone they had met had built up a dossier of evidence about something quite strange, quite unusual, animal testing flights coming into Manchester Airport. Now, I had never heard of this, and I sort of expected that there must be lots on the MEN about it if it was happening, because they cover the airport quite extensively. But I couldn't find any MEN journalism about it. All I could find was one kind of blog post on a sort of um, animal rights website about a particular protest. Um, So I got in touch with this person um, who had built up the dossier, and started to find out what it was all about. And essentially, the, the story is, is this. Manchester has become, in effect, a leading gateway for flights that bring a particular type of monkey into the UK for animal testing. According to our reporting, there's actually a decent reason to think that Manchester might be the only gateway for this particular type of um, testing. Um, In 2022, i.e. last year, um, trade records from the government actually show that a total of 2,245 long-tailed macaques, which is this type of monkey um, that originates in Asia, were flown into the airport 
Um, these animals are then seemingly transported by road to animal testing labs, including one in Harrogate in Yorkshire. And what exactly that testing then consists of, we haven't really been able to ascertain. But what I did when I found out about this is um, I sent a student journalist who we had recently just met. Um, he's called Shika. And we sent him to the airport just to do some initial kind of checks on the story. So he went down there and he spoke to a bunch of people. Then Molly went down and actually observed one of these flights coming in. And... Um, I think the picture we've built up um, about this this type of this story has kind of two striking features. One is that these flights seem to be very secretive in the way they're conducted. Um, workers are use a kind of large black screen to cover the mouth of the plane. Um, it's the kind of thing that's apparently normally used when a dead body arrives on a passenger flight. Um, workers have told us that they're instructed not to communicate about the flights with anyone. Um, they're told not to speak to journalists, uh, not to speak to activists in particular. And it's interesting to note, I think, that there are two activists we spoke to who have worked really hard to figure all this stuff out. They've kind of put a lot of the pieces of the puzzle together. We, we spoke to a lot of the workers at the airport and filled in that bit, but the activists had kind of really proven these flights come in. They'd cross-reference, like, freedom of information requests that they'd done with trade records and that kind of thing. So these activists are, like, crucial in the story. And these workers are basically told not to speak to the activists. So that, I think, already tells you there's something about these flights that the management of the airport isn't particularly comfortable about, even though they are perfectly legal. Right, yeah. The other striking thing to me um, about this whole story was how uncomfortable many of the airport staff we spoke to are about having to handle this kind of cargo. Um, on two occasions when we were trying to speak to workers at the airport, they preferred to write down their answers rather than saying them out loud. Um, one person said, it's just uncomfortable. Um, it seems like we are doing something illegal. And there was, there was one source in particular um, who we quoted near the end of the piece who said, and I quote, I still do these shifts because I need the money. But if it's up to me, I wouldn't do this anymore. This person said they, they told their manager that they felt uncomfortable at handling this cargo. They raised the issue with their union. Um, they say nothing came of it. And we asked them, what does it feel like, you know, to handle these kind of things? And, and they described the last time that one of the monkey flights came in, which was quite recently. They said, my hands shook as I took the cage out. I was trembling, but I had to do it. I had no other choice. Wow. Okay. Fascinating. And I think I think it's also just worth us pointing out again that, that you know there's nothing illegal going on here necessarily, but but the sort of the way in which this is so uh, well coordinated, a sort of synchronized secrecy, uh, um, a synchronized secrecy, is the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, to to the way that this uh, these arrivals happen suggests that there are people within this process arriving in Manchester who are very uncomfortable about it. Um, and, 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 you know, th- th- there are some people as well who's, who will defend uh, the basis for that scientific animal testing too. So, you know, that's an interesting area. What have the people involved been saying, though, Yoshi? As you've been talking to Manchester Airport and, and trying to get these people to sort of explain what role they are playing. Yeah, I think it's always interesting when there's something that is ostensibly legal, but that the people doing it don't want to talk about. The, the, the amount of secrecy we found about this and the 
Um, the way in which the airport and the city council that owns a large part of the airport just did not want to talk on the record about these flights at all. I think that tells you something. I mean, it was interesting that, you know, Molly had various kind of conversations and email exchanges with a spokesperson for the airport. And in one of those exchanges, this person basically said, we're not complicit in this, right? And I I thought that phrase, like, not complicit, was pretty telling in itself. They are basically saying, look, we don't really control who comes into our airport, which I think is, you know, very difficult to believe. Uh, They say, you know, that the law allows this kind of thing... Uh, that their actual statement was, which we finally got something on the record after about four days of asking, there are clear laws set by government that clearly define what can and cannot be brought into the UK as cargo. It is the responsibility of any airline flying into a UK airport to ensure they operate in accordance with these laws. So we got a statement after many emails and questions and very specific details to put to them. We asked them about how the staff felt, you know, like these things about feeling uncomfortable. We asked them about, you know, a a particular instance in which apparently, according to one source who we didn't speak to, but it was part, you know, who who spoke to one of these activists, there was a, a, a plane essentially full of dead monkeys. We put that to them several times. They never denied it. They never wanted to say anything on the record about the flights themselves. You'll notice that, that, that statement I just read you doesn't even refer to the flights. When we asked the council, City Council, Manchester City Council, which owns around a third of the airport, they also avoided mentioning the flights in their very short statement. They didn't comment on the experience of workers. Again, the other councils across Greater Manchester, you know, two together own just under a third. We haven't approached all of those. But I think it's just like, it's always interesting, as I said, if, you know, an organisation says, well, w- what we're doing is perfectly legal, but workers are being told not to speak to the press and activists, the organisation itself isn't willing to go on the record to actually refer to the flights. I mean, you know, pl- as you say, plenty of people defend this kind of animal testing. Um The animal testing on primates is particularly controversial, and there's a lot of momentum behind stopping that kind of thing. But it's you know it'd be it'd be one thing I think if the airport came out and said, "Yep, we 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 have got a hand in you know a major hand in this kind of testing via these flights," but you know we we think it's an important thing for society or for medical science or or, you know we've looked into we've looked into these labs and we're completely happy with the explanations they've given us about what they do. Um, Same with the council. They could say all that. They could say, "Yeah, we've looked into this, and we're and we're comfortable with it on ethical grounds." The fact that they're not willing to do that, I think, is um, is quite revealing. Mm, yeah, um, Molly, take us into your experience of working on this story. Yeah, I think, like Yoshi said, the secretiveness is really interesting. Um, I did some research around what primates go through. Um, under animal testing it can be toxicology sort of testing the limits of endurance to certain drugs that will you know eventually go into the market it can be you know life-saving um drugs for for really life-threatening conditions that humans endure um and there's a lot of policymakers and scientists who really defend this kind of work but the secretiveness around it around it happening is really concerning to me because if this really is such a such life-saving work then then why do we get this feeling that that there's a kind of like a shame around it and why is it making airport workers so uncomfortable i think that was the story for me um you know is that they're feeling that that people 
involved in this process who really don't want to be like the airport workers feel so like morally compromised that they can only speak to the press if they're writing notes down at the airport um i should really shout out our reporter shika talwar as well he did some incredible work speaking to people and i think without him we wouldn't have got this story out there um and yeah it's, it's been a really fascinating one for us i think um, and, and tell me a little bit about the reaction as well molly what, what how, yeah. how has it been met since the weekend yeah, we've got some some really great tweets from from our readers, um, from some new readers as well who have joined since since our reporting. Um, a lot of anger towards the airport, I think, for their involvement in it. Um, I think the fact that a lot of animal rights activists, like the leader of Animal Defenders International, a massive international um, organisation who do sort of rescue work for 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 you know sort of endangered and exotic animals. Um, you know, local animal rights parties are saying, you know, Manchester is now the gateway for getting monkeys into the UK. I think that's really resonated with, with audiences here. And one reader said on Twitter that it's sickening and secretive what Manchester and Airport are doing and what a murky world they're involved in. Um, lots of people tagging the airport in their tweets while linking to our article, tagging Bev Craig, Manchester City Council's leader, expressing their concern about these flights, what the animals go through in testing, but also what the animals go through in, in the transportation process. Process. I think that's a really key thing to remember here is that these are incredibly long flights. These monkeys are being flown from breeding labs in Mauritius and Vietnam. Um, they stop over in France in an airport near Paris or in Barcelona in Spain. And then they're transported again to Manchester and then there's another long drive as well. And it's a lot of it's a lot of hours. And um, I actually had another airport worker reach out to me in recent days saying, you know, I remember doing these jobs. He, he's since left, but the experience has clearly weighed on him. And he remembers, um, contrary to what we actually reported in the story, which is some workers told us they couldn't see in the boxes, but they knew it was monkeys. But this worker says he could actually see through the bars, the cages, and he could see the monkeys sort of like looking back at him. Um, and people would sort of try and use gallows humour to get through it, but he could actually sort of see them. And it was, it was this horrible thing that no one really wanted to do. So... Um, yeah, we've had new people coming forward. We've we've had a huge amount of support from readers. And um, I think there's a lot of anger at the airport. Um, Jane Smith, one of the key activists that we quote in the piece, um, she swung into, into action. She says she's written to every leader of Manchester Airport's Greater Manchester Stakeholder Councils um, about this piece. She's going to ask them whether they'll raise the issue at a full council meeting. And she's asked, will any of them get back to me? So I guess we'll follow that as it develops. Yeah, okay, dot, dot, dot. Um, and if you want to read that piece, it's absolutely excellent. It really is just a fascinating insight, a really vivid picture is painted of um, this practice at Manchester Airport. And again, I, I will reiterate that no laws have been broken, no suggestion of any wrongdoing, but um, for all of the reasons outlined there, perhaps a few questions that do need answering. Uh, Manchestermill.co.uk is where you go to uh, read that piece in full. Um, okay, elsewhere this week, anybody uh, getting the bus up Wilmslow Road will have seen the old pub with that huge poem on the side um it's a bit of a landmark really isn't it um uh, that poem uh sorry that pub uh, is or was at least hard as well uh, and the poem was written by lem sisse who is an iconic northern poet now though the pub is a pile of wreckage and police are on the scene molly what on earth has happened yeah, so last Wednesday, um, four fire engines were deployed to Wilmslow Road in the sort of middle of the night. This old pub had caught fire. Um, it became so structurally unsound that Manchester City Council have now condemned the building on the grounds of unstable structure, saying it's causing a risk to pedestrians in the local area. Um, and they issued an emergency demolition notice. So the pub has now been demolished um, since then. It's this 
pile of wreckage. I was I was there today and you can sort of see the debris, so like sort of smell the dust. Um, everything's fenced off because it's too dangerous to enter the site. Um, so very suddenly this iconic, beautiful old pub has kind of been reduced to rubble. Um, there have been some strange theories floating around about um, how coincidental it is that the pub's been demolished so quickly. Um, it's interesting that the, the pub is owned by AMR Developments. Um, they applied for pa- planning permission back in 2018 to build some apartments next to the pub, thinking they'd use the pub as like a building foyer. So residents would kind of go through the pub, enter that way, and then there'd be sort of like a new apartment block. Um, the plans were recommended for approval by Manchester City Council's planning committee in 2019, but that final de- decision has been delayed and plans have sort of been at a standstill ever since. Um, I've actually spoken to a firefighter at the scene and told me he's told me there is nothing to prove that it was arson. There is no uh, suspicion of any illegality. Um, it's very you know unusual that this fire broke out so suddenly, but there is absolutely no proof that this fire was anyway deliberate at the moment. But um, I think what's interesting is that this pub is very special for a lot of people. Uh, it closed in 2016, but it was this old Manchester City pub, extremely popular. Um, you've seen, you might have seen on, on Facebook groups and on Instagram, there's a lot of memory around it. You know, like, oh, I met my partner here and some really lovely photos of what it used to look like. And it's um, it had these like mahogany interiors and stained glass windows. And then um, on the walls, that was Lemon City's first public poem painted on the side. Um, so it's kind of got this like um, this myth and this like um, uh, adoration around it. So I think that's kind of the story. It's, it's the response of the public, the kind of like sadness and, and anger around it, and um, and what's going to happen next. You know, um, it kind of ties in with a lot of similar Manchester stories, like what happens to these old communities and their old pubs and these new developments and these new flats coming in, like and how do neighbourhoods change? I think I think that's maybe where some of the theories are coming from. Yeah, absolutely. It will be it will be missed on the landscape. Um, particularly that, particularly that poem. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, just a just you know, a very iconic poem from a very iconic poet on the mm. side of a building. Uh, very, very sad. That really, really sad. Um, yeah. Okay, Yoshi, take us to um, Moss Side. Uh, three black men were jailed for a murder in Moss Side and are appealing their convictions. Yoshi, what is this story? Yes, yeah, so some people will remember this story because we've talked about it before on the podcast and there's been various sort of Guardian and Observer reporting on it. But the three men in question are Rihanna uh, Walters, Nathaniel Williams and Jarrell Goodall. And lawyers for the three men argue that institutional racism in the police and the prosecution swayed the decision against them. So um, the, the, the man who was killed... Um, was killed in 2016. And while only one of the defendants delivered that fatal blow that killed him, a total of 12 were prosecuted under joint enterprise laws. And like some listeners will know, like joint enterprise laws are very controversial because they can sort of be used as a bit of a dragnet to pull in people whose link to the killing is... um, you know, sometimes not not particularly close. I mean, I, I worked on a big um, joint enterprise case as a journalist in in, in London in about twenty. I can't remember what you know, many many years ago, and. In that case, there were people who were very close to the person being stabbed physically when it was happening, but there were also people kind of running down a back alley um, away from the scene, and they were also 
originally charged with murder. So you get these you get these joint enterprise um, prosecutions. And I remember when I did that piece in London, I actually spoke to Keir Starmer, who was then not a, the Labour leader, but he was a he he was the former you know head of the prosecution service, and he gave me some really interesting quotes about how some of these you know laws were used, etc. So it's an area of law that's controversial. I think it's fair to say. Um, in this particular case in in Moss Side, the defendants were accused of being part of a gang, right? And 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 that is something that prosecutors can do to strengthen a joint enterprise case. If you can show that people are part of a gang, you can start to show that they had like a joint motive and, and, and the, the, the killing was jointly planned. But the lawyers representing these three men we're talking about, Walters, Williams and Goodall, say that that gang didn't exist. And, and they say they've unearthed new evidence that will, will strengthen that. So listeners might remember Jack's uh, piece that he wrote about Javon Morgan, um, Morgan was a friend of the men who are appealing their cases here. And the trauma that the imprisonment has caused for the friends and the community and, 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 and the trauma caused by all the violence that takes place in, um, in Moss Side um, was the subject of this really good podcast we did with Jack. So if people want to listen to that one, I think it was one of our best ones, search in your podcast app or on Spotify, what violence does to young people in Moss Side, because that was a, a like a very nuanced um, discussion about... That was the context, wasn't it? That was that was the context. Yeah. And we'll have to see, obviously, what happens with this appeal. Yeah, okay. Really, uh, really worth listening to that for sure. Um, all right, finally, Molly, take us to the Manchester United end-of-season award ceremony. Um, and... Uh, pretty toe-curling moment, <laughs> it's fair to say. And some serious questions that, it, that it's raised as well. What happened? Absolutely, yeah. So Alessia Russo, um, the star striker for Manchester United, she was awarded goal of the year. She scored 12 goals in the Women's Super League this season. Um, but she faced this really awkward moment um, when the chair of the club's charity arm, John Shields, said that he wouldn't hand her the trophy because it was too heavy. Um, it gets worse because he actually called her by the wrong name. He said, I'm not going to give this to Alexa because it is so heavy. Um, Can we play the clip of this incredibly cringe moment? I think so. I'm not going to give this to Alexa because it's so heavy. I've just been in a weight training session. Jason, can you, you can try uh, if you want? I think you can take it quite Hold happily, it. can't you? Hold it. John, you need to do a bit more weight training. It's not that heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can just hear that is so condescending. Um, it's it's so bizarre, and you know, it's worth saying that Shields has since apologised, but and she handled it very gracefully, I thought. But um, it just makes for for a, a very condescending moment. Um, it feels like something completely out of time. You know, you think with women's football coming such a long way in the past few years, um, the Lionesses win last year, and this is something that just wouldn't happen in 2023. But but yeah, here we are. Mm. Um, it's also interesting that Russo's contract with United is nearly up. There's been a few rumours that she might be heading to Arsenal. I know Lyon um, have also expressed some interest. So yeah, um, that's, that's not a way to hold on to a player who who might be about to <laughs> to go if, if those rumours are anything to go by. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just awkward, isn't it? It's just really mm. awkward. It just felt very, very... Oh, it's just so uncomfortable. Come on, chaps. We can do better than that. <laughs> and it's also like... it also like The thing it made me think of is Man United got criticised for years for not taking women's football seriously. Mm. So Arsenal had a great team and Chelsea had a great team and even Man City were putting together a team. And United, like kind of like closed their team and they didn't invest in it properly and it's like in the past couple of years they've really like come from nowhere to be one of the good great teams like I, I know they didn't win the Super League this year but I think they came a very close second to Chelsea they were in the cup final against Chelsea so like 
they've had a real revival and it's actually on the back of the talent of people like I think Elatoon, uh, Russo, a few of the other mm-hmm. um, like big stars at United. Like they've actually had an amazing season and it's just like, ugh, like why would that guy just slightly not ruin the season, but like why would he put like a bit of a rum note right at the end by saying something that's just a bit cringe I don't know just oh, the whole thing is cringe yeah no work to be done for sure um, uh, just just while we're on the subject of Manchester United by the way and the men's team um, uh, have an, uh, an FA Cup derby United versus City uh, this weekend are you, go- are you going Yoshi? I wish I was going but yeah, my mum wants me to go to Munich to visit her mum in oh. the in the Bavarian countryside, so not only will I not be in Wembley, I like I'm not even sure. I I'll, I'll, I'll try and find a pub in the Starnbergersier uh, <laughs> district of Bavaria, but yeah, I'm I'm not going to be there. And we've also got train strikes this weekend as well to consider. Um, so um, I, I'm sure I would imagine that if you're going to Wembley, you've 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 planned ahead. Uh, I know that my brother-in-law has got his hotel booked and um, uh, is is going down a, a, a couple of days before. So uh, I'm sure you'll be be well prepared. But uh, worth watching on the TV um, if you uh, if you get the chance. That's the first Manchester derby in an FA Cup final ever, I think, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, sounds right. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay. Uh, so a big weekend for the city sporting wise. Uh, lots of other bits and bobs going on around Greater Manchester as well. Uh, before we leave you this week, we always like to give you a bit of a nod for some stuff to do uh, around Greater Manchester. In fact, it's a very big weekend uh, in the city, isn't it? Yoshi, what's on your radar? Uh, radar? So I always recommend the classical stuff and then you guys like do the actually popular music. But Manchester <laughs> Baroque are performing a, a concert at the Cathedral on Saturday evening. Uh, it's a recreation of the first um, known public concert series in Manchester. And they've been doing this for a while, like finding these very, very old concerts from like 1744-45, recreating them now. And they, they play with like, um, you know, original instruments or instruments that are like made to be like original Baroque instruments. So if you're into classical music, um, Cathedral on Saturday night would definitely be one to uh, look out for. Molly, what about you? Um, I'll be heading to Stockport this weekend. Um, the Underbanks have a secret street party. Um, not so secret anymore, but <laughs> there'll be live music, um, free arts and crafts, street food. Um, I'm going to try out Yellow Hammer. I've never been before. It's a lovely bakery slash pottery studio. And they do these lovely small plates by the chef Beth Hammond, who's also cooked at Flawed Wine in Ancoats, which is near where I live. And um, the food's always incredible there. So I think that'll be really nice. Um, um, especially in the sunshine. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Lovely, very nice. Um, uh, my nod for the weekend, yeah, it's going to be beautiful weather, isn't it? It's going to be gorgeous, mm, like to, yeah. uh, early 20s, uh, nice clear skies. Uh, my nod for the weekend is to spend that really beautiful weekend um, in a library um, mm. uh, and in, inside, in amongst books. Uh, actually, this this starts from Wednesday and it's still going to be really beautiful weather uh, from Wednesday, but go along to the um, the, the uh, Literature Festival's uh, Festival of Libraries. Um, this is a really big scheme, actually, bringing loads of libraries together there's loads of events going on over the course of um, a couple of days from wednesday and through to next weekend so this is a sort of a pre heads up on it um pretty much most libraries i mean all the big ones john ryland's are getting involved um manchester poetry library is going to be involved the nhs libraries are all doing a little bit um the working class movement library in salford and uh, around the university of manchester and stuff and libraries in oldham and bolton and rochdale and stockport and thameside as well are all getting involved uh, they've all got sort of a timetable of stuff and there are sort of a couple of famous faces uh, as well who are going to be popping up and doing readings and uh, getting involved in workshops and stuff um, and I think it's I think more than ever uh, right now it's really important to support our local libraries so that mm. looks fun also just a quick, a quick heads up for the weekend as well because um, Saturday in Manchester the Arctic Monkeys Coldplay and Sir Elton John are all 
playing various venues in Manchester on Saturday, plus a train strike. So um, wow. it's going to be carnage, frankly, <laughs> just this weekend. Uh, so Look good luck with it. Um, um, and just very briefly, Yoshi, what's, uh, what's going on in the newsroom? My friend, what are you working on at the moment? We are going to be publishing a great interview with Julie Hesmondalsh, who a lot of people know as Hayley from Corrie, um, but other people have seen her at the Royal Exchange or the Coliseum or on lots of different TV shows. Um, Sophie has interviewed her, and then she has agreed to come and interview us at our Mill birthday event, which is on the 13th. Yeah, Tuesday 13th of June in the evening. Venue still to be confirmed, but yeah, we're all very, very excited. Yeah. We'll have nice. a ticket link for that very soon. Great, yeah. excellent. Okay, that'd be, well, that's really worth looking out for then. Uh, that event and Julie Hesmond-Halsh as well. Um, a proper Mancunian legend, really, isn't she? Greater Mancunian mm. legend. Um, okay, uh, thank you for being with us this week. Um, all of that brilliant journalism you can hear from Julie Hesmond-Halsh. Also more details on that extraordinary story from Manchester Airport as well. And top quality journalism and bits and bobs to do around Greater Manchester in your inbox manchestermill.co.uk is where you go to subscribe subscribe and comment on this podcast as well we'll be back in your feed same time next week